Good morning, everyone. Welcome to all of you today. It's so good to see you here, and I know that we've got a bunch of people that are watching online, too, and including two of my kids, Kate and Luke, are at home. Uh, make sure you've got the crock pot on, all right, because we've got lunch when uh, we get there. But uh, to all of those of you watching online, we're so glad to have you joining us uh, today as well. One of the privileges that I have uh, with my role here at Genesis is not only to spend time here in Carmel on Sundays, uh, but our Noblesville campus too. And it's just so encouraging to see so many people that are coming back to church right now and comfortable uh, being back in person. Maybe for some of you, this is your first time back. Uh, we are glad to have you here this morning. We're excited about what the Lord uh, is doing in our church. We're excited about the life that we see. We had a big weekend uh, called Superstart. How many of you kids went to Superstart this weekend over at our Noblesville campus and had a great time. How many of you volunteered at uh, Superstart this weekend? Yes, I'll, you'll probably be dozing off here at some point uh, in the next half hour, but it was a great weekend. 50 kids uh, worshiping together, building relationships with one another, having lots of fun. Again, so much to be grateful for. And uh, this past Tuesday night, we had a vision and prayer night here at our Carmel campus. Some of you were here. Maybe you watched and participated online. It was a great evening together of worship. Uh, we, we, we prayed together. People were on their knees around the room. We were talking about this greater initiative that we've been talking about for over a year now. And one of the goals, one of the big goals of our greater initiative is we want to raise $7.5 million over the next two years to do three things, three things that are really important to us as a church. We want to keep making disciples. We want to reach our cities and change the world. And some of you, like, I've heard that a hundred times now, all right? I could get up, but that's all right, all right, because they say vision leaks, and so we want to stick after it together. But when we talk about this greater initiative, again, we're talking about the importance of making disciples as a church family. This is something we do every day as a church. All right, it's really important to us from worship services to connection groups to kids to students, uh, as well as outreach contributions to our ministry partners. Like this is the work that we are called to uh, as a church family. And we're praying that God is gonna continue growing our influence in these areas so that we can help even more kids and more students, even Cub fans find their way back to God, all right? Because Cub fans need Jesus too. But we also wanna reach our cities. All right, and so when we talk about reaching our cities, this portion of greater is to make sure that we've got adequate facilities to better serve our church and to serve the communities that God has called us to. And so $3 million is a big step in helping relocate our Noblesville campus as well as make improvements to our Carmel facility here. Now, $3 million is not going to build a brand new facility for our Noblesville campus. Most likely not gonna build and renovate a building either, but it is a huge huge down payment towards a new home for our Noblesville campus. And, and while the building project this time focuses around our Noblesville campus, there's going to come a day really soon, all right, where the attention is going to turn to our Carmel campus as well. But we need to relocate our Noblesville campus, and we need to do it as soon as possible. And I love the ideas. Uh, many of you have shared in these. You've been a part of some of these uh, conversations and talking about what we could do with the facility as a church family and how a facility could serve as a gift to the communities that God has called us to. And so we keep praying about a church facility uh, that might include things like a park or a cafe or a co-working space or even a preschool, anything that invites people into the building all week long. And the final piece of the greater vision is to keep changing the world together uh, by giving away $300,000 on top of the 10% that we already invest into our ministry partners. You've probably heard us talk about our intentions 
to support homeless students and at-risk students right here in Hamilton County, uh, giving and serving alongside of our local schools. We want to continue helping one of our partner churches, ICF Church in Tirana, Albania. Uh, they're doing incredible ministry, not only in Albania, but around the Balkan region, and we want to be a part of the work that God's doing through this church there. And we also want to come alongside of families and individuals in our, in our church that are choosing to adopt and to foster. And so greater is an opportunity for our church to continue growing in so many different ways. But as you can see, we also see this as an opportunity to help other ministries grow too. Here's the really good news. Even after one year of greater... All right, we're one year in, one year to go. We've made great progress in all three of these areas in a crazy year, by the way, all right, which has been a year like none of us have ever experienced before. Add to that, uh, we've been working hard at finding a new facility for our Noblesville campus. There are a couple of intriguing options right now, nothing definite yet. We're still praying. We're still searching. We know the Lord has a location in mind, but the good news is that we've been able to set aside a million dollars right now that will go towards that new facility. And in addition to that, we've also been able to designate $100,000 specifically for our Carmel campus, all right, for some improvements that we'd like to make here soon, but also for the future, all right, and whatever the Lord's going to do through this campus. And here's one more thing that's, that's really cool. Greater has already enabled us to give more money away than we've ever given away as a church before. For example, in 2019, we gave away $180,000 as a church. Last year, 2020, we were able to give away $262,000 as a church family. Isn't that cool? Let's celebrate that together. God's work uh, and his faithfulness through you, through this church. Again, helping others find their way back to God. And we're not done yet. Again, we said one of our goals is $7.5 million. That's a big one, all right? But the other goal is the more important primary goal that we're chasing after, we're praying about is 100% engagement and participation from our church, from everyone who calls Genesis their home. And if I can be honest with you, we're running a little behind in this area. And uh, some of that could have to do with the fact that, you know, COVID certainly has impacted all of us in different ways. Last year at this time, we thought we'd need around 750 commitments to hit our $7.5 million goal. And right now, we've received 150 commitments over the past year for a total of $4.2 million committed. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for all of these. And the good news is that our giving has far outpaced those commitments as well. So again, the Lord is providing, he is blessing our church and we're not done yet. We've got one year to go, all right? One year and we still believe that God has called us and led us into this greater initiative. And for those reasons, we have every intention of finishing what we've started, all right? We believe that God has prepared us for this, given us this greater vision and we are going to finish what he has asked us to do. And so you can help us get there, all right? And today you're gonna have an opportunity. If you uh, feel led, if you're ready to take that next step of faith, then maybe even calling Genesis, your church, an opportunity to do that. When you came in the room today, we've just got them sitting off to the side. There are commitment cards on the back table. Uh, we'll also put a QR code on the screen later on in the service if you prefer to fill one out electronically. But here's just what we're asking asking of everyone in our church family, would you just pray, God, what would you do through me? 
Uh, what might you want to do through my life or through my family? And I filled out one of these with my wife one year ago. Again, we've kind of edited it to reflect just one year to go with some of the totals. But what we're asking everybody to pray about is what would I typically give over the next year, really from Easter to Easter? Uh, is there a, a faith amount? Is there an over above amount that you might feel the Lord is calling you to and be willing to write that number in a box and turn it in? And it's helpful for our planning just so we can see what we're planning and hoping and praying about as a church family again over the next year. But would you be willing to pray if you haven't already? God, what do you want to do through me? Uh, what would you like to do through my life? Because again, we want to make the name of Jesus greater in our lives. We want to give him more room to work, not only in our lives, but certainly in our church and through our church as well. So let me pray for us and, and we'll continue this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your provision, for the way that you care for us and you love us, Lord. Uh, God, we, we wouldn't be where we are without you and we are trusting you. We are trusting you in our lives and we are trusting you with our church. We believe that you want to accomplish even greater things uh, through the ministry of Genesis. And so we want to keep humbling ourselves, uh, putting our faith in you, and trusting you with every part of our lives, including our resources too. And so give us faith. I, I pray that every single one of us would just pray, God, what do you want to do uh, through me? Accomplish your will. We offer all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Ruth chapter 1. If you've got a Bible with you today, if you use the, uh, an app on your phone, uh, feel free to turn there with us. Ruth chapter 1. If you've been following along uh, with our planted reading plan, uh, you wrapped up the book of Judges this past week. Praise the Lord, right? I mean, Judges is rough. Uh, it's brutal. I mean, we are meant to understand that things are spiraling out of control. I don't know about you, I do my Bible reading in the mornings. There were some mornings over the past couple of weeks that I just thought, I'm gonna go back to bed, all right? Because it's just, it's tough to read. I mean, it's just like, what am I supposed to do with this today? And so it's brutal, but every once in a while, you find a story of hope. You find a glimmer of hope, even in the book of Judges, but it doesn't last long. After Judges comes the book of Ruth. It's four chapters long. It's important that we realize this. Ruth's story takes place during the time frame of the book of Judges, all right? That makes it much more bearable as we realize that even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of chaos, this dreary time in Israel's history, Ruth's story is meant to remind us that our God is still working, that he has a great and amazing plan, and Ruth's story is one of hope, and it's one of light shining in a really dark period of time. Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, here's what we read. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And so right away, as we kind of set the context for the book of Ruth, we realize that there's a famine in the land, which certainly means that food is difficult to come by. You know, what happened a year ago here in our country uh, with the stay-at-home orders and 
the realities of COVID coming onto the scene was about as close to anything that I've ever experienced to a food shortage. I mean, if you went to the grocery store at all last year at this time, you remember that every once in a while you went past the meat section and it looked a little bit like this. Or the toilet paper section, again, still haven't figured out what was going on there, all right, with toilet paper, but the uh, shelves looked a little like this. And certainly the cleaning supplies, too, these were all difficult to come by. I'll be honest, I started to get a little nervous, uh, especially, I, I remember that one time going to the grocery store right as the stay-at-home orders were taking place, thinking about not only food, but thinking about how COVID-19 might infect my family. How, how's it gonna impact our church? Uh, what are we going to do when, when people start getting sick? Uh, what, what are we going to do if people never come back again? What, what are we going to do if the economy falls apart? Should we continue with greater? You know, I mean, God, is this really what we should do? I mean, is this still important? I mean, I had a lot of questions. You've wrestled with a lot of questions. We're all still dealing with questions today. I mean, this, this past year has certainly taken a toll on relationships. You've probably had some relationships that have struggled. Uh, marriages have taken a hit. Maybe, maybe your marriage has been a challenge. And, and for some of you, it's leading your company or it's things that you see or you're just hearing about at work or you know, just peace of mind. I mean, it, it's impacted every single one of us in all these different ways. I and mean, we, we've had to learn to trust God, haven't we, in ways like we've never had to trust him before. And that's certainly the case with, with, with the people we're gonna meet in the book of Ruth, especially to begin with a, a woman by the name of Naomi. And Naomi's situation is about to go from bad to worse. And in case you're wondering, well, where's Ruth then? Like, well, we're gonna get to Ruth here in just a moment. But first, you've gotta meet Naomi. Again, we read this, Ruth chapter one, verse one. In the days when when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab, or modern-day Jordan, if you know your geography. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. There she is. And the names of his two sons were Machlon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. All right, and so Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons, in order to survive, they flee to Moab, which is pretty crazy to think about if you're Jewish because Moab was a longtime enemy of Israel. But there's food there, right? And sometimes in difficult circumstances, we'll do some drastic things. Verse three, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Machlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. And so certainly poor Naomi here. I mean, she, she escapes to Moab with her family where her husband dies, and things are about to get very complicated for her, and here's why. In this particular culture, your protection and provision as a woman was tied to first your father, and then after you were married to your husband, and if anything ever happened to your husband, then you would rely on a son to take care of you. But Naomi has lost all of these things, and she's got little to no social uh, political, even economic standing now in her culture because of it. And to make matters worse, she's in a foreign land. This is rock bottom. All right, for Naomi, things can't get much worse, but at least she's got two daughter-in-laws. We meet them. 
Orpah and a woman named Ruth, but they don't have anything to offer Naomi except their company. And word comes to Naomi that the famine has come to the land or come to an end in the land of Bethlehem, and so they might return home at least as their only hope. And at that, she urges Ruth and Orpah to stay behind in order to maybe find a husband. Orpah stays, but not Ruth. She wants to remain and stay with Naomi. And these words from Ruth, you potentially have heard them before, become so important and so revealing of the type of woman that Ruth is when she replied to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Now take those words into account as you think back to the book of Judges and story after story of the weaknesses of each of these judges that we've been reading about. Thank you, God, for Ruth. All right, thank you for raising up a woman, a leader in Ruth, a woman of noble character, a woman of, of courage and faith. It's a dark time. It's a really dark time in Israel's history, and God's going to choose a woman to bring light and hope in Israel in this story and certainly to his story of redemption. And so together, Naomi and Ruth are going to travel back to Bethlehem again with no husband. Naomi has little rights or privileges in Bethlehem. And so while it may be a good home and certainly while it may be familiar, their immediate future is very uncertain. And so these two poor women, they're desperate. They're very poor in need of help. Well, upon returning to Bethlehem, some of the women recognize Naomi, but even they can see a difference in her. In fact, it's recorded in Ruth. They ask of her, can this really be Naomi? And here's what we read in Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. This is Naomi's response to them. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And we know why. I mean, it makes sense, certainly when you think about the pain and the loss, the tragedy that she's experienced. I mean, so much has been taken from her. I mean, it certainly makes sense that she would reply, I'm empty. And I wonder if any of you can, can relate to Naomi. Uh, whether it be in any part of your past or maybe especially over the last year or even over the last few months to, to relate with someone like her, someone that's experienced so much pain uh, and so much loss. I mean, this, this, this past year has taken its toll and had an impact on every single one of us in so many different ways, but some in, in certainly greater than, than others. And, and again, maybe for you, it, it's taken a toll on a relationship a really important relationship, a relationship that you thought would never struggle, uh, that would never come to an end. Uh, maybe things like fear and anxiety have, have taken a hold of you, or uh, depression and how it sets in and, and really how it paralyzes us in, in so many different ways. I mean, it, if you've gone through any of these before, I mean, well, maybe you can relate. Maybe you could relate with somebody like Naomi and say, you know what, I feel pretty empty too. Add to that, Naomi's feeling pretty beat up. And, and the interesting thing about the book of Ruth, and, and if you've read this, I don't know if you've caught this or not, but the interesting thing about the book of Ruth is that God's not really mentioned in the story. 
I mean, with the exception of the questions and even what we're reading here, I mean, there, there's not a lot of reference to, to God, but the reality is he is there. The reality is that he's all over the pages of this story, working in ways that both Naomi and Ruth maybe don't see, or at least yet. And you know what? The same is true for you. The same is true for you and your story and your family and your relationships and your hurt and your pain that even if you can't see it yet, I promise you that God is there. I promise you that God is still working. I promise you that he is providing for you and, and he's not finished with you yet. And, and so no matter what it is for you, maybe part of my encouragement for you today is you just keep trusting. Or you keep trusting in the Lord. Keep turning to the Lord. Don't give up on him because our God has certainly not given up on you. He has not and he will not give up on you. And so Naomi and Ruth work on a plan and they decide that Ruth, being the younger of the two, should be the one go looking for food. And Naomi suggests that she go and find a field to glean in. And what, what, a, what does that mean? That's not a word we use that often. But landowners back then would hire workers to go into the fields to, to harvest the crops, to thresh them, to, to haul them into storage. But they would ultimately miss some in the fields. There would be things left behind, things that were dropped to the ground. And so the gleaners were the poor who would go into the fields and they would gather up, pick up all of these leftovers. And in Israel, Hebrew farmers would intentionally leave this grain for them instead of picking it up. Now, why? Well, because the Lord had commanded them to. And uh, I don't know if you remember when you were reading back in the book of Leviticus a month or so ago, there's an instruction that comes out of Leviticus chapter 19 that the people here are living by. It's in verse 9 and 10. When God commanded the people, hey, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Verse 10, do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. And so they were to leave the grain for the poor and for the foreigner. Ruth is both of those. And as it turns out, Ruth was gleaning in a field by a relative of Naomi, a guy by the name of Boaz. And when Boaz finds out who Ruth is and that Naomi is her mother-in-law, well, you can see in the pages of the book of Ruth that he was kind to her. He was generous to her and protected her. And one day Ruth comes home with all of this food and Naomi's kind of stunned. And so she asks Ruth whose field she's been in gathering up all of this food to which she replies, Boaz. And Naomi is stunned in that moment. She's encouraged because Boaz isn't just any relative, but he is known in this culture what is called the kinsman redeemer, all right? Write that word down if you're taking notes. He is the kinsman redeemer, and here's why that's important. In ancient Israel, property belonged to a family and was handed down to future generations through the male lineage. So when a man died without an heir, when a man died without a son, his property was up for grabs. Someone else could step in and buy it and take it. But if someone were to step forward and marry his wife, he could also buy or redeem the property in order to keep it in the family as well as, and maybe more importantly, protect and provide for the woman. This person was known as the kinsman redeemer. And that's where Boaz comes in. 
And that's why his role is important because he's a close enough relative to Naomi and her family that if he were to marry Ruth, he could redeem these circumstances for both Naomi and Ruth. And Naomi gets this. She understands how it works in her day. And that's why she tells Ruth to go and to start spending time with this man and to get close to him. And there's a specific command in the book of Ruth, if you read it for yourself, where she says to go and lay at his feet one night. Now, some interpret this to be a sensual act, but many disagree, saying you've got to understand what's happening culturally here, that it's really more a sign of submission and respect by laying at Boaz's feet. Ruth is ultimately saying, I am here and I'm at your mercy. And you can read this for yourself. And I realize we're skipping over a bunch of the details. All right. But Boaz is struck by Ruth's faith. He is struck by her character. He is struck by her loyalty. And all of a sudden, this idea of marrying Ruth and caring for Naomi comes front and center. But there's another important aspect of the story in chapter 3 and even into 4 that there's actually a closer relative that has rights as a kinsman redeemer, first rights as a kinsman redeemer to this family and the potential of marrying Ruth. But there are financial implications in doing so and because Ruth is a foreigner and that's going to create some controversy. And so he forfeits his right to help. But Boaz... Well, again, we know that God is working in this situation and in this story, and he's been providing for Ruth and Naomi all along the way, working in the heart of Boaz. And so Boaz agrees to marry Ruth, and in the process, he's ultimately agreeing to care for Naomi as well. And all of a sudden, Ruth and Naomi, they've got a future again as they realize they haven't been abandoned by God. But the fact is that God has been there all along. And even though we don't read his name over and over again in this story, he is there and he is providing for their needs around every single turn. I think about just a few of those examples. I mean, to think that Naomi and Ruth met at a, in the time of a national crisis when everyone was desperate, searching for food. And then you've got Ruth, this Moabite, who agrees to travel back to Israel because her husband had died. And one day Ruth is just seemingly in a random field starting to glean there. And incidentally, she's allowed to glean from a field because God provided that privilege going all the way back to Leviticus 19 where it reminds to leave the food behind for the poor and for the foreigner. Again, Ruth was both. And when Boaz finds out who she is, he gave her so much grain that she could barely carry it. And, and Ruth begins pursuing Boaz, and, and she takes a chance in doing so because he could have easily rejected her and ordered her to be sent back to Moab. But they're going to marry, and because of it, Naomi's going to gain a son-in-law and a family that would ultimately provide for her as well. That's a quick telling of Ruth's story. You should read it. It's only four chapters. It'll take you like 20 minutes. Read it in between a couple basketball games uh, today or something. But in addition to that, you should check out the Bible Project Overview video in the Read Scripture app as they really connect these pieces well together. But all that said, the book of Ruth is a story of ups and downs. It's a story of pain and suffering. It's a story of trusting and provision. It's not different, not much different than ours, is it? I mean, we all go through these times and seasons. We've all got these seasons that we look back on. Maybe you're in one now, and we thank the Lord for them. We should thank the Lord for them because things seem to be going well, and we're just so grateful for all that we have, but we all know how quickly that can change. And we know how quickly a, 
an encouraging season can become a difficult one and all of a sudden there's pain and all of a sudden there's waiting and trusting. We've all gone through these times. Maybe you're in one now that require great faith and courage. And in those seasons, those difficult seasons, our faith is tested. We're forced to choose between things like fear and courage. And one of the things we've been learning these last few weeks is that it takes courage to trust God. Uh, It takes courage to put your faith in God, to to trust in Him for provision, even when things aren't going as you would hope. And that's why I I hope that you will realize that greater is so much more than a final financial fundraising event. It's so much more than finding a new building and even giving resources away. But a big part of greater is learning to trust. It takes a lot of faith to trust God with your finances, doesn't it? I mean, if you've taken that step, you know that it takes faith and trust. If you've never taken that step before, you know it takes faith and it takes trust to make such a decision, learning to practice faith in God for everything that we need. It's a lesson that my wife and I, uh, Jenny and I, we, we continue to learn together. When we started Greater one year ago, Jenny and I decided that we would, we would give through Genesis you know, over the next two years. And so we came up with a two-year number that was our greatest pledge that we have ever made before, more than we paid for our first home. That's what we felt like the Lord was leading us to do. And it took some courage. It took some trust because I got three kids, right? They like to eat and they're driving and they're going to all go off to college one day. And so I've got those things on the radar like many of you and then throw in a little COVID and some uncertainty with our economy. And I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that last year at this time, I wasn't second guessing uh, what we had decided, what we felt like the Lord was leading to do. And And like many of you, we've increased our giving monthly over the past year. That's a part of us reaching our our, our goal. Uh, And God's been good and faithful to us. But part of our plan uh, in fulfilling our commitment meant that we would give a lump sum uh, from one of our mutual funds, which we did in December. And I just got to tell you, I remember the day in December when I made that call to arrange that transfer uh, to our church and I was talking to our financial advisor and I told him the amount that we wanted to transfer from our mutual funds and well he kind of chuckled a little bit and he said you know what he said that's the exact amount you made in interest this past year and uh, I chuckled a little bit too and then tried to remember to give thanks to God after that and realizing that he just provides for us you know he provides and in different ways he, he asked us to take a step of faith and then he provides in ways that well, we can't account for on our own and maybe you've got a story like that one of the things that i love about my role here one of the things that i love about greater is hearing stories from people like you that are taking steps of faith learning to trust god maybe for the first time Uh, here's one more story uh, that we want to show you today check this out we have been coming to genesis for four years now and uh we we love everything about genesis um early on we were really attracted to the the mission of just fi- help people find their way back to to god um we have found different ways to kind of help in the church and alex has uh served on on the worship team and i've served in, in gin kids and um, helped with the welcome welcome tent and uh, we've loved everything about it we would describe ourselves as generous and giving people with our um, time and in our friendships and being involved at church but through greater i've we really learned to take that next step in our generosity it was good for us to kind of really 
say, hey, listen, to this point, we haven't really contributed financially to the church. You know, we've we've given our time and, you know, our energy. This was an opportunity for us to really put a stake in the ground and, and talk about ways that we can grow our family, you know, through through the generosity that comes with, with giving to a campaign like Greater. We attended the, the commitment night with when Greater first launched, and um, I think the thing or the moment that kind of really stood out for us that really got us on board with, you know, contributing to Greater was um, when our own, you know, pastoral staff just kind of shared their personal experience with with greater and how they were contributing and 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 I think you know Steve and his wife Anita shared personally that like they they were contributing you know more than they've ever given and I think you know Steve even share that, you know, he was going to go a percent above what his wife Benita, you know, was even aware of. And so I think the true authentic moments that really helped us maybe get over the hump if we were kind of wavering back and forth on kind of where we were going to go with it. I think that moment put us in. And I think the next moments were just kind of how much, how much were we going to try to get where can we, where can we do our part? Releasing our grip, I think is going to, is part of the biggest lesson right now. Just don't, don't love your don't love your stuff that much. Don't. It was scary. Greater didn't, yeah. It was scary. The initial yeah. thought of it was a little bit scary. And then even learning further or at like a deeper level that it's, it's not just like what you have left over, but actually looking at, no, I need to, I need to start Prior with this as my, as my gift, as my offering to God. We were still looking at it as like he can have the leftovers decide well how much can we give away but still you know put be comfortable be comfortable putting savings so I think for the first time that was a shift for us and just our approach wanting to do it was never that was never an issue but then you you have to wrestle with the side of you that is worldly there's some repentance of like I hold too tightly to this I didn't I didn't know that I did that until I was asked to give some of it away. And I didn't realize that that I, I do cling to it a little bit. There's that security factor. But the flip side of that, the beautiful side of that, is that when you do release that and you are more open-handed, then you do encounter the Lord and you do, you do see Him moving and you, it opens you up to trust because really that that lack of that lack of giving or that clinging too tightly to our finances as if they really were ours learning that they were not and and letting that go allowed the lord to show up in ways that we wouldn't have noticed before learning to give and be more generous has not been without its challenges for us but god has shown time and time again that that he's there for every step of it and he'll continue to be faithful. That's a beautiful story and that's a beautiful couple and family and they're gonna have a baby real soon, which is fun as well. But uh, I love their obedience and just their willingness to tell that. And, you know, there is nothing like learning to trust God, you know, with your finances. And I, I don't have that completely figured out. I mean, that's something that I still am growing in and struggling in. And uh, But if you know that, if you've taken that step, like, you know, it's a beautiful thing to be able to say, I am trusting God with my finances and generosity uh, and growing in that. And I know that some of you feel overwhelmed anytime 
time you think about finances. Maybe you'd say, you know, I'd love to give, but we're in such a mess right now. I don't even know where to, to begin. I want to point you to a class that's made all of the difference uh, in our home. It's a class called Financial Peace University. We offer it here at Genesis. We're going to be starting one here at our Carmel campus on April 11th. If you've never gone through that before, it's a great next step uh, when it comes to finances and, and learning to live a way that brings peace and learning to live a way that brings glory to God because he is our good father and he is our provider and he knows what we need and sometimes his provision is just enough and sometimes his provision is in abundance and for Ruth and Naomi God provided for all of their needs even in the darkness even in the pain you know God was still working and he was still providing and let me just tell you one more fascinating uh, part of of Ruth's story uh, again Boaz and Ruth if you've read it they have a son all right, they're going to have a son together, and it's recorded in Ruth chapter 4, verse 16, something that's so important. It says, then Naomi, then grandma, took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And if you know your history at all, David will eventually become king of Israel, and from his family line, Jesus will be born. How awesome that in the midst of a difficult book like Judges, God's going to choose a woman, and through that woman, he's going to bring a son by the name of Obed, who eventually down the line is going to lead to Jesus, and that's why Luke was able to record in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, that today in the town of David, which is also known as Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And as Boaz was for Ruth and Naomi, well, for us, Jesus is the ultimate and the perfect kinsman redeemer. He is the great redeemer that has come to this world who humbled himself and died on the cross and, and rose from the dead so that we might live, so that we might find all of the strength and all of the faith and courage that we will ever need. And Jesus, he wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants to use all of Genesis, just as he used people like Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. Like Ruth's story is one amazing story of hope in the midst of chaos. Like her story, Genesis Church, we have the opportunity to shine a bright light and to bring hope to kids and to students and to friends and neighbors and communities around us, especially in this dark and chaotic time of our history. And greater is just one more way of doing that. Greater is one way of doing that, that together we can make the name of Jesus greater and help even more people find their way back to God. Here's what's going to happen next. I'm going to give you some time. The band's going to come. They're going to play and eventually lead us in the last song. But for those of you here that have never made a commitment to greater before, we're going to give you a few minutes to do that now, if you're willing and if you would like to, or if you just need some time to pray. And again, there are some commitment cards in the back of the room on the table. We're going to put the QR code on the screen as well if you'd like to do that electronically. Again, the band's going to play for a couple of minutes. Um, and if you feel like the Lord's leading you in your life and if you've never done anything like this before with Genesis, we invite you to participate again if you're willing, uh, if that's the work that God is doing in you. And some of you, you know what, some of you are brand new to Genesis. Uh, maybe you've been coming for just a short time. And first, I want to say we're glad that you're here. 
whether in the room or whether watching online with us. And we realize that taking that next step to give or taking that next step to give to a church family is a huge move. It's a, it's a big deal. But some of you might be ready to do that. And that might be your next best step in saying that this is my church. And so we're not going to hesitate from inviting you to join us in this journey together because I'm convinced, we're convinced that God wants so much more than just something from you. Like he wants something for you. He wants something for each of us. And so many of you, you've been on this journey with us for the past year greater. You filled out a commitment card a year ago. You've been giving and giving faithfully. You don't need to fill out a new card today. All right, today is not for you. Unless God's moving in you to do that. Unless like you're feeling some sort of prompting or tugging that he's got something more in mind for you. And if so, then, well, you should be obedient in that. You should take whatever next step that you need to. But what is he asking of you? What is he asking of each of us? Like, would we dare pray that prayer and then take that next step with him? We're gonna give you a couple of minutes. If you came with your spouse, maybe it's some time to talk this through together. Maybe you need to pray and just spend some, some time with the Lord. Again, the band's gonna play. They're gonna close us with one final song here in just a moment.